Thanks for listening to the podcast from River's Edge Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information or to gather with us on Sunday, visit our website at respokane.org. We hope this message is impactful for you and others as we pursue the way of Jesus together. So it's a, it's a fun Sunday morning for us um, for a number of reasons. Um, it's Christmas. I love Christmas. I love singing Christmas songs. Um, for those of you who know Matt Deason, um, he's the, the lead pastor here. He's actually currently at the hospital with his wife um, because she, God willing, will be giving birth to their third son this morning. So yeah, he'll hear that in the recording and so he'll know that we know what's going on. Um, I uh, really just want to take a short period of time this morning and to really talk about those passages that we just read and really um, hopefully set uh, something before us for the Christmas season as we head into Christmas Eve tomorrow and then Christmas on Tuesday. And as I've been thinking about Christmas the last couple of days, really what's been uh, circling around in my mind is the, the beginning of the Gospel of John. And the Gospel of John starts with this statement. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's John 1.1. And then you go down and you get to verse 14, and it says that the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And in the passages that we just read, that that Leah read and Gabe and then Brendan read, and we read about the word becoming flesh, which is a miraculous and difficult theological concept to comprehend. That God, the triune, three-in-one God, he actually selects a poor little soon-to-be family living in the first century on the fringes of the Roman Empire in this land of Judea, and says, there, that's where I want to move in. And that, that is it's just baffling to me. That, that is where God says, I want to take up residence. I, I want to become an embryo. I'm going to become a fetus and then a newborn and then a child. And I'm going to learn from Joseph. I'm going to learn to be a carpenter. And then we know he's going to be tried later in life. Um, after becoming a teacher, he'll be tried as a criminal and then eventually die on a cross as our rescuer and our redeemer. And that's a story that for many of us, we've heard dozens if not hundreds of times. And so we can grow numb to the power and the reality of that because we hear it so much. We might even see pictures or we see nativity displays and we just think, oh, like that's, that's normal because it's just that's what happens at Christmas. And we sing these songs they play on the radio. And what I want this morning is hopefully for us to c- recapture a little bit of the awe or the power that the, that the first century church, the first church would have heard that story with. Um, Because they wouldn't have been numb to it. That would have been this amazing truth of God being faithful to his people. And so, as many of you know, uh, that Leah read in Luke 1, there is this family. We're introduced to these two characters, Mary and Joseph. And they're no one especially important, uh, no one wealthy, no one with a huge platform. Um, Just a young woman, most likely a teenager. And... uh, she is engaged to be married to a man who's a, a tecton, who's a carpenter. And what seems maybe to us to be coming out of nowhere, but is actually the fulfillment of thousands of years worth of prophecy, an angel comes to Mary and says this, you, you found favor in the eyes of God, and you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, 
the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary's response is a logical one, because one, she's engaged to Joseph. They haven't been married yet, and so she asks, how am I going to have any baby? Um, But two, how is this baby going to be called the son of the Most High? How is he going to reign on the throne of David forever? Because if you pause to think about it, that's pretty crazy. Like, what is being pronounced to Mary here? But Mary's response actually is probably more gracious and calm and trusting than mine would have been. She simply says, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel explains that the Holy Spirit is going to bring this about. And it's something, Mary's response to that is really something that we can all learn from. Just she has this simple response. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Just simple. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Just let it be done. Let it happen. Imagine and think about what Mary is saying yes to. She is going to have to turn around and go to her fiancé and say, Hey, honey, guess what? An angel came to me, and I'm pregnant, but there's no dad really involved. The Holy Spirit came on me, and now I'm pregnant. Imagine the fear and trepidation that if you had to go and tell someone that, are they going to think I'm crazy? Uh, Are they going to believe me? Am I going to be killed? Because they think I'm making this up. So you have to go tell your fiancé, but now you have to tell mom and dad too. You have to go tell mom and dad and you have to relive the experience and probably the fear and trepidation of that. Are they going to believe me? What's going to happen? And then also imagine you grew up in a small town and you have cousins and they have to hear the story as well. Will they all believe me? Imagine living that life for nine months, not really knowing what's going to happen. We actually know, if you read later in the scriptures, um, there's a story in Mark 6 which really points this out, that especially because of the nature and kind of confusion and potentially scandalous nature of Jesus' birth, there was kind of this mess that Jesus was born into. In Mark 6, we have this story where Jesus is speaking and the crowd says with a scoff, isn't that, isn't that Mary's son? It's meant as, as this negative thing. Isn't, isn't he that carpenter? So Jesus grows up in this setting where he's known as, oh, that, that boy. And that is the situation that the word decides to become flesh and make his dwelling among us. No palace, no servants waiting on him, no silver spoon in his mouth, no people of power, just a simple family. Of all the places in the world to be born into, this is what God chooses. He chooses these circumstances, humility, obscurity, poverty. He chooses the dirt and the grime. He chooses the hard work of learning to be a carpenter. Now, You and I don't get to choose where we are born or when we are born or who we are born to. But God does, and this is what he chooses. We are surrounded by a culture that talks about how we should build our own platform. 
Uh, the number one thing nowadays for young people is not necessarily, I said that really weird, the number one dream for young people today is to become famous. It used to be to become rich. We wanted wealth and we thought wealth would bring happiness. But studies show today that now there's less of an emphasis on wealth and more of an emphasis on fame. We want to be famous, which is how we get phrases now like being insta-famous or being a YouTube star. While I was doing research, this was completely ironic, but while I was doing research on that, an ad pops up on, on the computer screen and says, put in your information and you could make it on the 30 most influential under 30 list. That is how common this is. And I'd be lying to you if I wasn't tempted to put in my information to see what would happen. Because I feel this pressure, and I feel like many of us do, because of the world that we live in, because of what's celebrated, because of what we talk about amongst ourselves. We talk about building our platform, about going from rags to riches. Those are the stories that we tell, about making a name for ourselves. Those are the things we celebrate. And in the midst of that world, today we read a story about a God who does the exact opposite. In Philippians 2, Paul, the apostle, is writing to a church and he's talking to them about how they should relate to one another and he says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Jesus chooses these circumstances. He humbles himself, and in doing so, he joins humanity in a way that no one would have expected God to do. I mean, think about if this is the way that God comes to humanity, think about what that means for us today, about how God comes to us today. Maybe it's much more common for him to come in a whisper than it is in a yell and a wave. And if we are a people to become like Jesus, we're called to imitate him. We're called to have the same mindset as the God who does that. Obscurity, humility, hiddenness, simplicity. It's all really good for us. And Annie pointed this out as I was talking to her about this. In light of God's choice, we see the dignity to be found in these circumstances. God chooses these circumstances to be born into. And what actually happens? Well, we read the story. Joseph takes Mary back to Bethlehem. That's where jo uh, Joseph's family's from. Joseph is from the family of David. So he's there to be um, counted in the census. And you'll remember Bethlehem from the Hebrew scriptures. It's where Ruth and Naomi go back to. It's where Samuel anoints David as king of Israel. The, the village, the town, Bethlehem, it has this simple name. We say Bethlehem, but in Hebrew, it's the house of bread. And I find it interesting that Jesus will later call himself the bread of life. And he's born in the house of bread, just this little village. And it's here in Bethlehem that Jesus is born to Mary. Not in an inn, not in a family home, not with hospitality, and not in a palace, not in King Herod's palace, not in Caesar's palace, but in a cave or potentially a stable or a barn is what we should think of because there was no room for them in the inn. And it's not like there was no room for them in the inn because 
like they forgot to call ahead of time and make reservations. That was supposed to be a joke. Thank you. Uh, but more than likely, the reason that they end up in this circumstance is because of the scandal that I talked about earlier. Uh, they, they're in a culture that values hospitality. I mean, you read through the Hebrew scriptures and you see hospitality be this key aspect of who these people are. And there you have a nine-month pregnant woman and her husband who ride to Bethlehem. They ride probably on a donkey or walk most of the way and they are turned away and they're with animals. And Jesus doesn't get a proper cradle. He's placed in a manger, which is a feeding trough. And more than likely, it's, it's because, ah, could she really be pregnant by the Holy Spirit? Did she really talk to an angel? Is that really what happened? But think about what actually is going on here. God has arrived. The, the long-awaited Messiah is here. The Lord has been faithful to his promises. Everyone who's ever been praying for a sign, the sign is here. Jesus is born. He's in Bethlehem. He's in a manger. And what would you expect? Angels go out to the four corners of the earth, lightning, neon signs, go to Caesar, go to Herod's palace, go tell everyone this is what's going on. Come to Bethlehem. Come to the little village. That's not what happens. Angels go to shepherds in a field nearby and they are told, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. The announcement is made to humble, simple, smelly, tired shepherds. And they're told an announcement that's actually packed with a ton of meaning. Now, announcements, especially announcements of birth, were really common in the first century, especially for people who were significant. And from just a few years before Jesus is born, just a few years from where this narrative takes place, Caesar Augustus sends out announcements about himself. So Caesar Augustus is the leader, the empire, or the emperor of the, the Roman world, the most, probably the most significant, most powerful person in the Mediterranean world. And he sends out announcements about the good news of his reign and proclaiming that we should celebrate the day of his birth. And this is actually chiseled into stone that, that Caesar is to be known as Lord and Savior. And these announcements go throughout the empire. But here, to humble shepherds, this announcement is made. It's not that Caesar is Lord. It's not that Caesar is Savior. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Savior. Christ, born today in the town of David, he is the one. So the shepherds say, we have to go see this. And they go and they arrive and they see Mary and Joseph and the baby. And they come away and they tell people about it. And that story continues to be told today. What we are doing this morning is a product of the announcement that the angels gave to the shepherds and then what the shepherds told people about and then those people told people about. That is why we are here this morning. We stand in a long line of people who have come to see the Lord Jesus, who've seen God's faithfulness, who've seen his provision. What we'll do at the end of our, our time here this morning that I think has a really powerful visual to it with the candles is we'll, we'll pass them and we'll light candle to candle and it's this picture of the way in which the, the light of Christ, in which the gospel, the truth about God's faithfulness to us and for us, can spread. And there's a powerful visual to the hope 
that in a dark world, God brings light. As we think about Christmas today, in in a culture that values fame and fortune, we read a story about how the king of the universe, the creator God, how he actually humbles himself and becomes dependent on mom and dad. The, The creator actually joins in with creation. The eternal actually joins in with the temporal. The immortal joins with mortality. He made his dwelling among us. He pitched his tent among us. It's not that God passes down rules and laws and regulations, says this this is what you must do to come to me, or this is how you rescue yourselves. No, God comes to us in humility and obscurity and joins in with humanity to experience the best things that our reality has to offer and most definitely the worst. It's not as if God is this cosmic clockmaker who set the world into motion and just let it go. No, God enters into history. He's born to this family on the edges of the Roman Empire and enters into our story. He experiences the pain and struggle, everything that we experience. And it's hard for us to grasp the truth of that or even begin to understand what that means. But I want to just end with two thoughts that especially this morning and over the next two days as we head towards Christmas, I want us to to really have these two things before us, that God has come to us, he's with us, and how he comes to us. Because we celebrate the fact that God came to us. That's the songs that we sing, that's what we get to celebrate at Christmas. He comes in humility to a simple family. And like I said, for someone like me who values comfort, who likes to be liked, who wants to be needed, and who was tempted to like, well, maybe I could make it on the 30 under 30 list, I think if I was choosing the situation of my birth, I probably would have chose something different. But this is what God chooses. He chooses Mary and Joseph. He chooses the scandal. He chooses the manger. He chooses the political turmoil. He chooses exile into Egypt. He chooses the threat of being killed as an infant. He chooses the first 30 years of his life where no one really knows anything about him. This is how Christ Jesus comes to us. And if we are called to imitate him, then we have to understand how he does that. And not only can we not do that alone, but we don't have to do it alone. Some of you know this about me, but one of my favorite authors and and theologians from ever as John Wesley. So he's a, a guy in the 18th century, came to the United States, also um, in the UK. And there's a lot of really interesting things about him. He's, he's a pretty interesting guy. He was extremely dedicated, had a pretty profound impact. But one of the most significant things about him that I remember is that on his deathbed, when he was 87, he was uh, surrounded by friends and he's holding their hands while he's in bed about to die. And he just keeps uttering, farewell, farewell. That's what he says for a while. Until his last words, he repeats this phrase twice and then dies. He says, the best of all is, now mind you, 87 years of life, a lot of things done. The best of all is, God is with us. The best of all is, God is with us. The holiday season, particularly in the United States, is measured mainly by three things. How much money we spend, how much we're stressed out, and how depressed we are. 
this season really highlights a couple things. And it highlights oftentimes the brokenness of our families and it highlights our own brokenness or the pain and and rememory of holidays past. And I I don't want to gloss over that fact. But there's nothing I can say that will change that. But I think that the story that we read today and the story that we read at Christmas, it gives us a lens to view it through. Especially as we think about Wesley's reminder that the best of all is God is with us. Let's pray. Lord, we give thanks to you as the one who comes to us, as the one who cares for us, as the one who's good to us, and you provide. And like I said, you didn't just leave us to our own devices, you actually came to us. It's not as if we just have rules and regulations to follow. It's not just that we have stuff to do, but we have a person to respond to. You have been kind to us. You've been good to us. And God, I pray that this morning and in particular over the next two days, you would remind us of your presence, that you would draw near to us in our hours of need. Because Lord, we we need you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.